Traveling the Vortex. We've joined Professor Travers as he slouches towards Det Sin, which also happens to be episode 340. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? I'm well. Me too, but you. tired. I'm very tired. Why are you, you guys so tired? So tired? Well, I have an infant. <laughs> well, yeah. Father, it'll do that, I suppose. Sean, why are you so tired? I spent the week in a hospital. <laughs> not, 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 you. Yeah, not me not personally. Yeah, Shy was sick. She had... Double ear infection and double pneumonia. Ooh. So it hit her hard. That's rough. Yeah. So they quarantined her to one tiny room. <laughs> and she was very angry because every time the door would open, she'd be like, <gasps> and then it would close. And she knew that was freedom. <laughs> she, just, she knew they wouldn't let her go out there. Oh. So we spent a lot of time cooped up and reading. and Not fun. Yeah. No, it wasn't fun at all. And then I got sick. I think she gave it to me. Mm. Not the pneumonia part, just a head cold. But stay so back. If I sound really awesome <laughs> tonight, that's why. Did you get to do anything fun besides that? Uh, not really. We uh, we played some games today. We had some couple of friends over that we played some Ticket to Ride. And last night we watched our Blu-ray copy of Kong Skull Island. That uh, movie's just as much fun the second time around. I need other to get than, that one. It's, it's just it's so much fun. But other than that, now we didn't really do anything. Did you do anything else this week? I watched some of the news at a San Diego Comic Con. Mm. New trailers. Yeah, there's been a quite the deluge of trailers. My sister came into town to meet Jim. You don't Gemma. have a sister. Sure, I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the correct response is, "You have a sister." You have a sister. <laughs> so we've been hanging out with her a lot, and she and I went to go see War for the Planet of the Apes again. Oh, I went again. She went for the first time. She enjoyed it. She did. She liked it a lot. She's seen the first two, right? Yeah. Yeah. And her husband won't watch him for some reason, so huh. so she waited so I could go with her. That's what Will oh. said. Karen's got this thing where you know she liked the first one a lot, and then they watched the second one, but the minute the apes were on horseback with guns, she was kind of like, meh. And I'm like, that's the whole point! <laughs> a little bit. She's going to hate the third one. <laughs> <laughs> that's even, there's a part of that in the first one. I know. But on second viewing, I liked the movie even more. Once I kind of knew what I was getting into a little bit and knew what was going to happen and kind of had processed, let it soak in for a week, I could see it as more of a film and how well-structured and well-put-together of a film it is. Not as good as Dawn, I still don't think, but really high. Really high of just the film in general. Let me ask you, if you ranked all three, how would they fall? Dawn, War, Rise. That's one, two, three? Yeah. That would be two... No, no, I mean, right, M1, 2, 3. And it, it really helped, well, my, my second viewing, and after talking with Sean a little bit about it, helped me really narrow narrow down what the film is, too, a bit more. of Because it, it's got, the, the, each act is something a little different, which is really nice and refreshing, as opposed to the other films. Glenn, you do anything fun? Oh, I've been chasing Pokemon for the last two days. They released the legendaries and the as raids. Today we didn't catch any of them. We, we uh, defeated chasing birds. Yeah, we defeated. We defeated. Gotcha. You got it now. We defeated two of the Lugio birds today with a group because you have to have at least fifteen people to beat these things. We defeated two of the gyms that had them, or two of the boss raids that had them. But neither Mason or I have caught one yet. So because you get to catch them, you get to try to catch them after you've defeated them. And nope, escaped every time. So still on the quest for. The two legendary birds that are out. So we, well, we did that yesterday, today. So he and I have been hanging out a lot playing Pokemon this weekend. I did watch uh, season one of Broadchurch. This oh, week. you the whole season? The, well, it's only six episodes. Oh, it's that short? Yeah. Oh wow, I <laughs> had no idea. Short. Super short. Um, I, I may bump that up season, a little higher. On my yeah. List. Yeah. Season two might be longer, but I, I think it's ten. I well, season one might have been ten. <laughs> no, I think it was. No, I think it was only eight. I think it was only. Uh, eight. I'm no, going to the end. Hold it on. Off my list go now, go hold check on. it out. Anyway, whatever it was, it, yeah. Uh, oh wow, that is an incredible series. So well done. Did you watch the so well English performed. or the U.S.? It's Grace Point if it's Grace U.S. Grace Point is the, okay. I wouldn't watch the Eng- I wouldn't watch the American thing before I watched an English thing. I didn't asking. watch The Office here until I'd watched The Office UK. Eight um, episodes for season one. It is eight. Okay, I thought I was right. 
It's phenomenal. It's eight so episodes good. for season two. Keeps also. you guessing, and I'm really worried because I wish now it had it was only eight episodes because the first season was so good. I don't know where they'll go with it, and I've heard that see, uh, season two isn't that great. Although they said it picks back up on season three, so we'll see. But only season one and season two are on Netflix right now, so the hero mm-hmm. situation. Yeah, hopefully not as bad as Heroes. Well, just uh, <laughs> the first season of Heroes ended, and Mel went, "What do you think?" And I said, "I don't want season two. Yeah, and she went what? <laughs> and I went, no, you, you you misunderstand. This was twenty four hours of the greatest television I've ever watched. There's nowhere they could go but down. Yeah, you know, it just yeah. it can't get any better than that. Oh, and the nice the way that season one ended, it almost could, except for like one shot. Well, even that I don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> so if you end it with hero lost in time, okay, that's a downer, but I don't care because the rest of it was. I I own season one. I don't own the rest of them anymore. <laughs> And then I listened to uh, the Spectre Landing more this week since I got all excited about it after reading <laughs> the first story in Havoc Files 3 that we're going to review. So. Oh, yes. yes. There's, a, there's a mention. Oh, yeah, the reference. Yeah, yeah there's a reference. And, and the Bledsoe part of this takes place nearby Lanyon Moore. So I thought, oh, I'll go back and do a refresher on that and listen to it again. It's, it's quite enjoyable. Always. That's pretty much it. Chasing birds and just those couple things. Watched Game of Thrones episode one, which was phenomenal. Did you, you not get to it? Yet? I didn't get to watch it. Oh no! Because I was in the hospital, so yeah. we had to cancel oh, yeah. our, our TV show. No. Not gonna. I won't. I'm gonna talk about it, but it was good. Good. It was really good. Quite pleased. Oh, I did watch just on an offhand. I just got this weird bug and watched an adventure in time and space again. Part of it might. I have wonder been, why. Well, part of it, part of it might, might have been that, but also David Bradley's in uh, Broadchurch. Oh, is it? Yeah, he's in. Yeah, and, and I'm so, not too surprised by that, actually. Well, no, I suppose not. But, well, it's UK. It was surprising it's... because I went, okay. You're but, English, right? Yeah, we're <laughs> being the show. And not to mention, I had watched episode of Game of Thrones, too, which yeah. kind of sparked that. Oh, yeah, David Bradley. And so I went and watched Adventures in Time and Space again, which is always good. I cried again in the right places. So. Uh, that's been one I've been itching to rewatch since, uh, you know, the season ended. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was pretty much it. Let's move on to some news. Unfortunately, we start with some 10 o'clock news. Some passings of former companions. Trevor Baxter has passed away at the age of 84. He played George Lightfoot, Professor George Lightfoot. And Deborah Watling passed away, who, of course, played Victoria. Friend of the show, Deborah Watling. That one hurt. Yeah. That was tough. I think that is the first companion now. Well, I may be wrong. That's the first companion that I've met that has passed now. And I've met her twice because I met her once at Gallifrey, briefly. And then, of course, we got to interview and talk to her at Time Mini a couple of years ago. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was one of those ones like, wow, okay, now I've actually met this person. That was just last time. year, wasn't it? That was the first year. Was it the first year? Okay. Yeah, this year was uh, Peter Davis. Oh, that's right. That's right. So sad. Yeah. yeah. She'll be missed. Very much so. Let's move on to some happier news. Okay. You don't have to twist my arm. <laughs> <laughs> new details on the Christmas episode have been revealed at San Diego Comic-Con, including a new teaser. What do you guys think of the teaser for Twice Upon a Time? I have never been more excited for an episode of Doctor Who, with exception of perhaps the 50th anniversary <laughs> story. Every bit of it I watched and went, ah, yeah. Yeah. That looks exactly like what I want. As unexcited as he was for the return Dr. of Dr. Mysterio, <laughs> yeah. that's how excited <laughs> he is for exact opposite. Yes. You're right. I'm having the exact You're same thing. You're exactly Glenn. right. I was, uh, yeah, I absolutely had no excitement at all for Dr. Mysterio. But this one, yeah, complete opposite. I am so ready for Christmas. It's too early for Christmas. I know. You, I can't talk to you Christmas about this. is too far away, you mean? No, I mean, it's too early to be advertising for the Christmas oh. special. <laughs> no, because it's Comic-Con. Yeah. It's not like they released it just on TV at random. Right, <laughs> I, I would agree. It's, a, it's, it's an event, so they, they also had a panel it. about it's an it. Event. It's a panel, it's a special treat for the people that attended, and then everybody always releases. I mean, they don't have to advertise for uh, Thor, which comes out next year, too. And they, no, oh, Thor's November. November. Well, no, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Ready Player One. Ready Player One, which is next year, too, but... I don't remember if it was BBC or BBC America was doing Christmas in July. Yeah, and they I ran saw that. all the Christmas yeah, specials, I saw that. which is a clever thing to do. It is clever. Yeah. I think they've done that in the past, though. I don't I think, think this so was too. The first year. Yeah. Well, I'm rather surprised that based on the trailer, well, not based on the trailer, that Bill is coming back. 
That was a nice surprise, I hope. And did you guys catch the uh, what looked like Polly in the trailer? I yes. wonder who they got to play her. I, I wonder if it's the same actress as who was in Adventure in Space and Time. I don't think or... I noticed that. It yeah. looks, yeah, there's a shot. I went back and pre-framed it. And I went, oh, that's, uh, yeah. It's uh, in the very beginning when the doc, the first doctor is there starting to regenerate his hand, like his hands glows, and then it cuts to 12 oh, okay. with well, his that, hands glowing. That, oh, that's okay. I just wonder if she's going to have a bigger role. or I doubt it. Fleeting image? I, I think it'll be a fleeting image. I think because this story obviously takes place, as they say, in a moment of time, I have a feeling that everything else around them, surrounding them, is kind of frozen. Yeah. So, In fact, I would be quite... I, I, I'm okay with them having... David Bradley portrayed the first Doctor. I would be quite disappointed if we started recasting previous companions in younger roles just for... Because then it starts to become maybe, I don't know... Gimmicky. Gimmicky, yeah, yeah. agreed. Now, yeah. having recast somebody to be Polly in the, in that scene because that has to be the vehicle to get to that moment in time, I'm okay with that. But I, I wouldn't Not want for to a see her running around being a full companion or yeah. anything. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just... Maybe. Sean doesn't seem as excited. I'm excited. I'm still I'm still on the fence let down from all of the stuff that I gleaned from Series 10 that I didn't need to. All of the force feeding that BBC gave us. And I understand it's Comic-Con and you've got to give something out there. It's like Bill. Oh, Bill's in the trailer. And we get that wonderful embrace of 12 and Bill. And my heart swelled. And then I thought to myself, I hope this didn't just ruin the moment for me. That you know, because as we left it, he didn't know that she survived. So that's a big moment for him it's to true. find out that she's still around and not a Cyberman. We don't know what she is now, but just you know, she's, okay, she's cool. a puddle. It's uh, Mark Gatiss. Oh, cool! Mark Gatiss is in this. Oh, Mark Gatiss looks kind of like somebody else, a yeah. specific character, and I really hope that's not where we're going. It better with not that. be because he's a World War One outfit, yeah, and a World War One soldier, so it can't be that. I don't know. We'll find out. I'm glad it's not. I'm glad it's that, and that it's not. He's playing the Third Doctor, which somebody had speculated. Well, yeah, that point. too. I don't know. I'm just kind of holding off on my my reservations. I just had a thought of who he could be playing that probably wouldn't ruin things. Maybe for another time. Okay. <laughs> so yes. Christmas, Christmas in July. <laughs> it's too early. <laughs> Other news. Big Finish had some announcements, including the next unit box set, which will include a Dalek story and a Sontaran story. Woohoo! So that's pretty exciting. It's the first time I think unit has come up against either one of those. And this is series five for unit of the new series already. And then, I haven't been able to find this, but the author of a story for Big Finish says he's bringing the Doctor's daughter back. Jenny? Jenny. Oh. With Georgia Moffat in the role. Well, that'd be neat. So there hasn't been an official Big Finish announcement, but the writer of the new audio adventures, Christian Brassington, gave an, art, uh, an interview with Radio Times and gave him the scoop about it. Oh, terrific. Really? I thought for sure I'd seen something from Big Finish. I couldn't find anything on Big Finish's website. Huh. Well, that'd be neat. I'd, I'd, I'd quite enjoy that. Yeah. I think that'd be really cool. They're recording it this summer with expected release towards the end of the year. Huzzah. And our last bit of news. Uh, Candy Jar has announced if you are ordered the Daughters of Earth, you will be getting the Two Brigadiers as a short. And we have a synopsis. It's 2001, and Brigadier Sir Alistair Lethbridge-Stewart is feeling restless, his mind still on his recent adventure with the Doctor and Morgane. But then there is a knock at the door, and a familiar face asks for his help in finding an old friend who has gone missing. Written by Jonathan Macho. I hope has I said that right. Has he done anything in the series prior Nope, he's a newcomer. He's a newcomer, okay. And there's also a nice little two-page little blurb yeah. in The Two Brigadiers. It's a blurb? Are you calling well, it a blurb? It's a two-page story. A two-page story, yeah. <laughs> Story's better than, than blurb. Yeah, it's a two-page story, but it's really neat. Really it neat, is really neat. neat. I don't know that we want to talk too much about it, because I'd like people to be surprised by it. Yes. And maybe once this actually releases, we'll talk a little bit more about it. But um, we got a heads up from Andy, and Andy, I will say right here, we were very, very touched and pleased by it. I think yep. every one of us were. 
Although, if you go and read the announcements for the two doctors, you can get a scoop of what it is. Two brigadiers. The two brigadiers. Sorry, the two brigadiers. They do say what that little two-page story is. Uh, Spoilers. Spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was yeah, very yeah. Definitely go nicely done, Andy. Nicely done. Figure out how to get the two brigadiers because you will. I think I think people will be very pleased, even for just that part. Yes. Agreed. Absolutely. That's it for news this week. Let's move on to feedback. Our bit of feedback this week comes from Justin. Justin writes, OTATV. Major news, guys. This is Topeka relevant. With an antenna, there is a channel, 25.9, that airs Classic Who every weeknight, 6 to 7, Saturdays 5 to 7, and Sundays 3 to 8. If you had no idea, now you do. Justin from down the street. <laughs> Thanks, Justin. I think I found that out a year or so ago, and I think it's the Lawrence Public Access channel. And I think I when I got my newest antenna, which was supposed to have a fifty mile radius, it doesn't. But <laughs> I, I scanned for that channel specifically back then, looking for it because of that, because I'd I'd read that somewhere, found that out, and I, I can't pick it up here. So huh. I think it's my antenna. I got a. It's a cheap 550-mile radius antenna, so every once in a while I rescan with it and find new channels, but I still haven't come across that one. So. Mm. I think that's great. I think it's wonderful that there's that's some really station awesome. around here. Yeah. It might even be on the edge of Kansas City now I think about it, but either way, you'd think I'd pick it up sometimes. So. <laughs> Get the ionosphere off the air. <laughs> that's very cool. It's it just classic yeah. who on daily. Near our, us. In our hometown. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to go get an antenna just so I can watch it. Good luck. <laughs> don't yeah. don't skimp on your antenna. Yeah. <laughs> Be sure to get a, an expensive one. I'd go over one of those 100-mile radius ones, but they're expensive. Are those like 100, the, 140, I think. Are those the ones you have to actually put on the roof? Well, no, they do have the ones you can put on the roof. But they have it. They have one's interior antennas that's supposed to reach up to 150-some miles, too. That, In fact, my uncle has one in Hutchison, and he can pick up stuff from Oklahoma City with it. In, and it's an inside one, so. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, you're on your roof every other weekend between Christmas lights and gutters, yeah, so that's I'm not, not a big running deal. an aerial antenna. The thing. Just run, a, just run an antenna. Up there. Not with Couldn't Kansas you just storms. Two... <laughs> I remember my dad crawling up on our roof as a kid, <laughs> fixing the dang aerial all the time because of the storms. Couldn't you just tie two fifty ones together? <laughs> <laughs> I wish it worked that way. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> yeah. Extend the length. A little duct tape and aluminum foil I in the middle. I wish it worked that way. That would be awesome. Because I have a 50 upstairs and a 50 downstairs. So Well, there you go. Yeah. Put them together. The one downstairs is ugly, though. It's even cheaper than the ones that went upstairs. <laughs> it's one of those, like, butterfly wing ones that, like, folds out. And it's, I mean, there's not wide, giant wings. It's almost like condor wings because they're long. But there's no place to put it and without it looking ugly. And so it kind of sits down behind the tv and doesn't do any that which makes it even worse for that one downstairs because it doesn't pick anything up because it's got so much interference <laughs> i think you're looking at this all wrong i think you put christmas lights on this antenna you'd be all over it. <laughs> there you go i got something to, something to try i've always tried to figure out how to incorporate it into the artwork that's handing hanging downstairs but i just can't make it work you make it a weeping angel oh there you go <laughs> it's got to be disney themed though because that room's kind of disney themed now cars logo Oh, I could do that. Yeah, there you go. For those of you that are too young to know what an antenna is, <laughs> ask your parents. Now. Whatever. Since we've been in the digital age, antennas is a thing again. Nah. <laughs> yeah. That's not a thing. It definitely is. No, it isn't. Nobody nobody knows what an antenna is, ever. What do you think, Keith? Is he wrong? Yeah, he's wrong. He's way wrong. <laughs> Especially you for those cord cutters. Aerial antennas, the old wire ones, I'm sure nobody the, younger than us probably even remembers those things. You and your rotary dial televisions. Ro- ro- rotary dial televisions. <laughs> 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 Remember we used to have to call the TV? <laughs> Did you used to have one that had the, the magnifying glass over the, the screen to make it no, bigger? No, no. Uh, Did you? I've seen them, no. but I never oh. No, but I, I think I've told you guys before, my grandparents had a clicker. Well, it was, that's what they called them back then, a clicker, because it actually clicked, that was tuning forks, and that's how it changed the... Cha- it had tuning forks inside. It changed oh, it by yeah. a yeah, tuning for a frequency, audio frequency. 
it's the weirdest thing. We weren't fortunate enough to have a clicker. We had to get up <laughs> yeah. and go turn the knob. Oh, yeah. Physically we, turn it. We didn't have a set. remote control until I was probably in That's why it was a rotary dial TV. Because you oh, you're talking the about knob. the channel knob. You're talking about the knob. Yeah, the actual knob. <laughs> a rotary dial. That's on a phone. Yeah, no, that's yeah, why we no. called it a rotary dial because you get around the uh, it was actually Yeah, it was actually a no, I know, I dial that. knob. Yeah, gotcha. Well, and if you lived out in uh, western Kansas, you had two knobs on your TV and had no idea what the UHF one was because you weren't anywhere close enough to pick UHF. If you were in, up here in this end of the state, you actually had UHF channels. Down there, nope. Nothing came in on those things down there. It didn't matter. You still only got like six. Yeah. <laughs> of the hundred and some that was on, <laughs> an option on there. It was like, there were like three on the UHF side and three on the top side. Yeah. On a good day, maybe you could get a fourth one to come in, but... He's sitting here very bemused. He doesn't know what an antenna is. I had it. Uh, oh, no, we didn't have an antenna, but I knew what they are. And I'm going to buy one for my own TV now. So. I saw one in a book once. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Justin, for Thanks, down the road. <laughs> and, of course, you can send us feedback, too. Just uh, go to our website, TravelingTheVortex.com, and fill out the Send Us Feedback tab. Or reach out to us on any form of social media. Let's move on to our reviews. What are we reviewing this week? We are reviewing Havoc Files 3. Woohoo! Among other things. I liked it. Are there synopsises for each individual story? That's what I was trying to find, and I can't find it. Okay. Let's just mention the title and launch right into them then. The Bladeau Cadets and the Bald Man of Pen Griffin. By Tim Gramble. Yes. It wasn't until after I read this story that I realized I think we may have been mistitling it since its announcement. Because I could have sworn it was the bald men of Pin Griffin. And then I read it and I was like, there was only one guy. <laughs> and then I went back and looked at the title page. I was like, no, nope, it's the one. bald man of Pin Griffin. <laughs> Is it have just we me? Been saying men? I don't I, remember. I that. distinctly remember we said men for huh. seems like months. <laughs> I don't Maybe remember. not. Maybe it's just me. I liked this one. I did too. I did too. A nice little interlude of a story that wasn't alien. Yeah. In, in Lethbridge Stewart's childhood. It's or, a, or supernatural in any yeah. way either. Yeah. Although I do think that there's an alien connection because it's obviously that thing that that's living underneath or that's sleeping underneath the moors is the reason why the stories that well, the kids yes, tell are yes. there. But, um, yeah, but no, this the actual story here itself is, is really well done. It's nice to see the kids again. It's good to see James and Alistair and their interactions with Ray. No, Ray wasn't the one. It was Jemima, Ray. Henry. Henry, uh, Henry yep. yeah. Jemima, Ray, Henry, Alistair, and James. Yes. And, uh, although Ray and Jemima kind of didn't really have much to do, which I think was okay. I think the one thing that bothered me about this story is it's really, really good up until the end. And the reason I say that is because... At the end, the author, Tim Gramble, takes this weird approach at telling the story from the kids' point of view who escaped. So we don't get... We get everything right up to how James and Henry get away. And it's... We get this... You know, Alistair goes to get help. He does escape. He gets to go, go get help. And then they go tell the police, and then the police go up there. And then all of that's relayed to the kids in the pub, by the kids in the pub later when they get back. And so I, I kind of wanted... It, was it like, would have been nice if he had kept consistency, because it kind of starts from Alistair's perspective. It would have been nice if it had stuck that way the entire time. I think that's what they, he was trying to go for, was all of this Alistair's perspective. But when he interjects Henry's perspective right in the middle, when he goes... To the thing and realizes that oh my gosh they were taking Alistair up there where this guy supposedly is and he runs off to go help him you've already stepped away from that narrative yeah. so you can yeah. go step away from that with Henry and James again from their perspective without them having to tell the story at that point so yeah that was the only thing I didn't like about it because it feels like it loses a little bit of its umph when the story is now being relayed to us oh yeah and then this happened and this happened this happened it, it, it sort of loses something for me at that point. So I would have liked it to continue the narrative from any of the kids' point of view at that point rather than step away and tell us, oh, and so this is what happened while you were gone kind of thing. Yeah. That was my only complaint about it. I'd have to agree. I, I really enjoyed the rest of it. Uh, the fact that, like I said, it wasn't a supernatural and this dude had escaped and how the kids kind of try to combat him and solve the issue on his own and then you know getting the help and 
that was a really well constructed and seemed it didn't seem out of character out of place for any of these kids to be doing this either no not in this time frame <laughs> no no not in this part of the country especially for these kids I mean they're the the Bledo cadets I mean it just so fit in and stuck with what we learned previously about them too it didn't didn't add so much extra that it made things that we learn later seem out of place right absolutely I think the part that I really liked about it was that added a little bit of layer between Alistair and, and his brother yes that yeah. we, we we got a little bit more furthering of that uh, of that relationship as opposed to it just kind of being its own thing off in Forgotten Son that this is it's I mean it's just a short story but it just adds that little bit more to it a little more texture a little more a little more flavor to, to what's going on and it kind of cements the fact that you know James is going to be a part of this universe even though it may be limited yeah. well in some ways. the tragedy of it I think is too is this the events of this happened not long before James ends up committing suicide though well, yeah but yeah. yeah in air quotes <laughs> yeah so that that's the thing you kind of take away from it too is look at where their relationship was, was sort of going and how it could have evolved had the tragic events of, you know, the Forgotten Son not happened. So. Well, and, the, yeah, exactly. The fact that their friendship really starts to develop more so here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alistair's not the troublesome little brother so much anymore. He's right. starting to come into the... Earning his stripes. Yeah, exactly. Should we move on to the next one? Which is Lucy Wilson, right? Right. <laughs> Now, just as a, a reminder for everybody, the uh, the book includes several shorts. We're going to skip over some because we've already reviewed them. Right. If they were released as short stories that we reviewed throughout last year and early this year, yeah, we're, we're moving on past those. The next one, that uh, Slouching Towards Death's End, written by Sean Collins. Is... I don't know if you're saying that name right. We we have a, we struggle a lot with the authors of we these do. all the time. I this mean, one's a Andy, really hard one. Andy can attest. He's always having to correct us. It's spelled Shound, but I think it's pronounced Sean. Oh, okay. All right. I don't know that I'm ready to discuss this one. <laughs> you don't get to, by the yeah, way. Yeah. No. So well, you're I'm out of this a, one. I'm without opinion. You're out of this one. No, this one was written by our uh, fellow our co-host own. on the podcast here, Sean Collins. Hello. Exciting stuff. <laughs> I wonder if Andy could get us an exclusive interview with this guy, too. I don't think we have to go through Andy. <laughs> You don't think so? I don't you think, think so. We can contact this hey, guy. Sean. Yeah. <laughs> can we ask you questions about this? Sure. Go right ahead. So I really, uh, we're going to sound biased in this because we've been friends for so long, but <laughs> I really enjoyed this. I did. Me too. I thought it was good. This is one of those things that I sort of expected to be, in my mind, you know how much I like downtime. So mm-hmm. in my mind, this is one of those kind of steps towards that. And what I kind of liked about this was the surprise where I was taken back by the, you kind of feel like we're going towards Death's End, so this must be moving towards the events, him returning to Death's End uh, for the, to set up the events in downtime. But I like the, the, um, the change of, of direction that we get part of the way through with the uh, abduction from the Rus- Russian woman and those kind of things. So I, I really like that and kind of the intrigue that's going there. Now, there's obviously some building around this that happened because uh, who was thanked for the additions, additional stuff? It was whoever started the... the um, Rick Cross. Yeah, yeah, Rick, who started the Travers uh, things in the cave and that, and that kind of stuff. And so it kind of nicely fills in some of the, the holes in Travers' memory as he goes through this. But I, I, I really liked it. I think it was pieced together really well and quite enjoyed it. Thank you. I would agree with everything he said and in addition to that it, it works also really well to the, as the prologue to night of the intelligence as, as it winds up being it works great as standalone and it works great in that context also travers has a the voice of travers is spot on and everything that he goes through is feels like something that travers would do or say and it's just spot on for everything thank you i worked really hard on travers trying to capture it when andy first suggested hey what about Travers going back to the monastery um and I kind of went ooh yeah I, 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 I could do that because I love Travers and so I went back and rewatched Web of Fear again because <laughs> I needed an excuse you know and and really kind of poured that in there and then Andy I think I think I threw him a little bit 
Um, I don't think he kind of anticipated because I didn't know where it was going to end up because I knew that Travers was going to be a part of Andy's next book. So I, I knew, obviously, I can't kill him off. I don't want to do that. <laughs> uh, there's, cert, there's certain rules, you know, that you got. But um, I, not knowing where I could write up to, it was it, that was, I think, a big challenge um, for me. And then I think Andy kind of didn't realize that was the direction I was going to go uh, with it. But um, he, he made it work really well. And I've, I've started Night of the Intelligence now to kind of see how it fits in. Uh, and I'm not far enough along to really know yet, but uh, the, the changes that he made, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty jazzed with. Um, I think they well, work pretty well. Showing our hand a little bit, having read uh, a previous draft of it, even with what you, and I'm about halfway through Night of the Intelligence at this point, and even based off of what you wrote, it almost seems like Andy adjusted what he was doing I think to make so, it yeah. fit because it works so well based off your original draft. That makes me feel good that, <laughs> that he liked it enough to go, yeah, I'll alter my book to include. I don't, these, I don't these know. How, tidbits, well, so. and it, I think that's another thing I'm going to bring up is, as Gay said, we got a look at a first draft before this was even really submitted for some advice and. Then having read it in a final form, th- there was obviously things that was changed, but for the most part, the story stayed pretty structurally the same. There's some of the stuff added in there right. that, that that kind of fills in some of that out, but really the, your, the story that you drafted is very similar to what ends up in the in the final cut here, so I was... I was quite surprised by that because I didn't know how many times you would have had to gone through reiterations or new drafts with yeah. Andy. So I'm pleased with it. I think the only thing that I feel as a writer is a little frustrating is the way that it's so integrated into the Lethbridge Stewart verse and and Trevor's life. You really have to have read all of the other books and shorts in order for this one to really kind of make sense. Well, yeah. And that, that I think is kind of a big change, especially if you didn't know, because I've got other friends that are like, oh, dude, you had your book? Cool. Can I can I get a copy? I'm like, well, yeah, you can. You know, so Of course, I'm going to pr- promote it. Go to Candy Jar's website and order one if you really want to. And then I think about it and go, may not make much sense to you. <laughs> <laughs> but that's I very don't, true. I don't, I don't know. It's that, a, well, I think it does. It can stand uh, on its own fairly well as a, as a small story i don't think you have to know a lot of i mean it certainly helps a lot but i think all of the short stories are that way and so yeah it, i can see where it can be somebody comes on board and says oh you've actually pub- you know has had something published i want to read it because it's part of a greater universe it does make it yeah. kind of a struggle well you know i got my mom a copy because that's what you do and uh, she read it she was like it was really good <laughs> and then that was, and I could tell she was just lost. Did she, she didn't. You did know. she pin it to the uh, refrigerator door? I uh, haven't been actually to find out if it's still <laughs> magneted to the fridge or not. But um, I read the prologue of Night, I, not the short, but you know, you, you, still ninety percent of what you wrote was there to Sarah, and she doesn't know much about Travers or the Lethbridge Stewart stuff, and she didn't. She thought it was really well done. Oh, and pretty much understood everything that happened throughout the book, uh, the the prologue at least, and thought it was a really good start to a book that made her really want to go on well, and read the I book, think that even though she hadn't read any of the previous ones. The little the, the nuggets of the espionage and the intrigue, you don't have to know all of the little details and, to get the meat of that story. And you flesh so. it out enough that if you aren't as familiar with the character, you like him, you sympathize with him, and you get kind of enough of that backstory to make you intrigued to want to go explore more of this. It's nice references for those of us who know, but it's enough that makes other people intrigued to read on. I'm happy to hear that. It makes me feel good. <laughs> All right, we're done stroking your ego. Let's move okay. On. Yeah. <laughs> There's not going to be much room in this uh, in this room for my head at this point. So I'm glad you guys liked it, and I'm thrilled. Up next is Lucy Wilson by Sue Hampton. Yes, I really like this one too. I did too. It's. <laughs> That's the thing about the Havoc Files. I think it's always been that way, but there, Most, wasn't, a, there wasn't a bad story in this lot. No, there this, really wasn't. I mean, sometimes there's ones I like lesser than others, but this one, this all of these stories were really good. And this one... What I love about this one is the older Brig getting to be a, try to be a grandpa, to a kid that he feels this great connection with and feels like he missed out previously because of his career. That's one thing I really, really liked about this one and how great... Of a character Lucy is. 
Well, the parallel between the fact that he doesn't have, he has a very estranged relationship with his son. Yes. Um, yes. Especially because for so many years, his son didn't know that Lethbridge Stewart was his father. Yeah. He, he associated the other guy. So I thought that was a neat little parallel to see the estranged relationship that they have and the close relationship that he has with Lucy. I think what I really like about this is his determination to get there because he's first going to meet her at gymnastics because if he can avoid the confrontation with the son, it makes it all the better that he can. And then they have the setback on the train where he has to leave. Yeah, which makes for a nice little interlude because then he gets the the pickpocket, the alien pickpocket that tries to it, take. It the, adds a little bit of action. It to does. It, it yeah. adds a little bit of that element, and, that and was it a gives great a scene. That was a lot of fun. Oh, it was a lot of fun, and the fact that he, you know, was able to turn around and trip him up with his cane and catch him and said, "Hand it over." You know, that was that was neat. You kind of want that from from a story too. But then, yeah, the relationship with his granddaughter is very well explored. And you can see how much admiration she has for him, how much love he has for her, and the struggle that it is to have somebody in between them like, like yeah. his son. So. And the fact that he has somebody to kind of relate some of these weird alien stories to in his family that actually believe him and, you know, kind of buy in, or is intrigued and want to hear more about this sort of thing. It's it's kind of something other old Briggs stories could be so kind of depressing of him just trying to relive his glory years and this wasn't that at all, which I really appreciated. I think the only downside to this particular story for me was trying to keep the Lethbridge Stewart family tree in mind. Great. That, that, yeah. that was a bit of a challenge. That is a little hard. Especially well, when the good news is there's a book coming out that'll help. Yeah, <laughs> will help with that. I saw that and I thought to myself, well, there's a little targeted marketing going on here, but um, no, just especially because as the brig would, he's referring to uh, family members by nicknames and you know shortening things, and I'm like, who is this one? And then it's not until later in the book, oh, okay, yeah. And so I'm trying to keep her very straight. Other than that, the, the story was great. It was a lot of fun. And uh, I love Lucy. She's my new favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Last one. The Lost Skin, part two. <sighs> <laughs> you know the biggest problem with this one? It's part two. Is it's part, part two. three. <laughs> I went back and reread The Lost Skin, part one. Just to make sure that because I started this one and was like lost, I was like, "Oh, really? Oh, yeah." I, I, I couldn't I was remember. So engrossed in the first I was episode that I just picked right back up. Yeah, in this so one. Was like, I, yeah, no, I went back and reread one and went, "Oh, yeah, okay, that's where we're at." So then I went into two, and it was it was just as good, just as, as I, I remembered everything I liked about the first one, and it was more of this. Yeah, all right. And now I have to wait. <laughs> Again. What, what I can say about this one is that it feels like the middle act of a three-act story. Yes. And in that, I don't mean it to its detriment, but because there's there there is some pacing to be done in this middle section here. And so I don't think a lot happens in this story. There's not a lot of action. There's not a lot of you know intrigue. What I do like very much so, though, are the smaller things with this mm -hmm. story. And what those are, are the exploration a little bit, the, the hints that we get to uh, Chorley and Larry Green's past together. Yeah. And we're starting to that get was a hints great at what perhaps uh, Chorley has over Larry uh, that, that, that beholds him to him. And I think that's going to be expounded on more obviously mm -hmm. in episode three. The other thing that I like going on here is what's going on with Anne and uh, Tim in trying to get the information that she needs to learn more about what happened to her father and Tim trying to get out of the situation in the vault and then leaving us with that great cliffhanger of, <laughs> uh, is it Lawrence, shows up and takes them off somewhere and Bill's like, you know, incapacitated in the car. Yeah. I was like, yeah. this is so good. <laughs> and it was just, it, and it was really intense too, the, the moments where we, we have 10 Tim trying to get the information and trying to figure out how he's going to do it and end up talking to Larry, who unfortunately ends up being the wrong person to talk to. <laughs> um, but getting the information he needs, is, but it ends up being baited. Um, yeah. So those little things were kind of cool as well. The other little thing about it is is uh, Charlie going to 
speak to the I actual love the development of Charlie yeah, as I a character. Yeah, exactly. Continuation. I can't yeah. remember even how to pronounce the woman's name. Mir- <laughs> Maharia? Mahari? Maybe. Mahari, I think, is her name. Anyway, gaining their trust, which I think happened a lot quicker or easily or easier than I expected, but gaining her trust and going in to, to find out more, to kind of try to warn her, warn her off of the fact that, you know, Harold Travers, or, uh, yeah, uh, Charlie and Travers are coming soon and he doesn't want the information. Yeah. yeah. Taking that journalistic road of, I don't want the gotcha story. I want to protect you guys. So that yeah. was cool. That was kind of that middle of the, okay, we feel like we're, we're just pacing now. That's the part of it that I felt was pacing. It was intriguing. It was interesting, but it felt like pacing. But it's paid off with the big cliffhanger for this part of the story <laughs> as well, where the uh, husband comes. Well, we presume it's the husband. It's never really said that it is the husband, but yeah. somebody clocks him and... The, the big cliffhanger there of okay what happens next and so I think it was crafted really well and I quite enjoyed this and again I'm very angry at Andy for making me wait for another <laughs> another few months to get the hopefully the hopefully the conclusion to this because I really have no idea if there's more episodes than this it does at the end say concluded oh good well I'll so thank you for he, that Andy unless he writes a that. novel that it just it keeps going and going and going he goes yeah I probably ought to break this up I think we'll, I think we'll get the resolution. <laughs> well, it's a, part of me wonders how much of this, and I suppose we should have Andy on the show again, maybe to talk about these three stories once we've got them all. But it makes me wonder how much of these. I guess I could just ask him. We're friends on Facebook, but how much of these maybe were a, a novella that maybe he decided to break up? You know, because it really yeah. kind of feels like novella length once you get to the end of the. Like maybe the it just wasn't stories. quite long enough to be a, a novel, and yeah, that's what I wondered. And if this was just something that's swimming around the back of his mind, he thought, "Well, you'll get these on paper." Or I mean, it's obviously you you see him dropping the uh, trail of breadcrumbs ahead of time to get us to the fact that you know Green and Chorley have some sort of past together. Yes. Uh, you know, the the connection with Tim obviously and trying to get the information about what happened to her father and so i can see him kind of utilizing this as those little places to kind of to, to help expound on that which i think is ultimately what we'll find out from this because the lost skin i mean that's that, the thing is a story in itself but we're really getting little hints to oh, other things that we've yeah. been you know that's been alluded to for a long time we're getting more of that just within the context of a story that almost from the first glance it seems disconnected from anything else. oh i know but there's really a lot going on here and i'm quite enjoying it it's very heavily connected well it's funny too because when i when i started reading part two originally and my mind was casting back going okay travers was doing something and samson was with him but i don't remember why uh, samson wasn't with him he went out well they were they originally were, yeah and then he goes off on his and own and the reporters yeah. were following him but i don't remember why what was the deal? What was the... So I went back and I was like, oh, yeah, The Lost Skin. It's about right. the Selkie. It's about okay. The Selkie, yeah. yeah. That, that was the, the part that was really missing for me. So to go back and get that. And then to kind of get up to this point and still not really feel like I got any more than I had before. <laughs> of that of, of that, that part of it, of, yes. Of The no, Lost Skin. Of The Lost Skin. Right. Of The Lost Skin. I said, I don't mind because all the rest of the characterization and the, and the character moments that came with it and all this huge expanded cast of characters that we've had throughout the Lethbridge Stewart line, I'm, I love all these guys. They're all fantastic, and so to get more on all of them, it's 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 cool. But then we got to the end, and it's like, oh, it must be Gregor. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, I, I, you know. And I flip, but it's like there's not enough writing on this page, Andy. <laughs> what, what what do you mean to be? And I knew, I knew going into it, it was speaking. Yeah, well, we all knew that there was a yeah. third episode. But I read right still. up to that moment, and then my brain kind of fooled myself into the no, no, no. Oh, well, I didn't expect. <laughs> I didn't expect the cliffhangery type endings that we got in both of the the mm-hmm. sort of stories that were being told here, and so that was that was quite a oh, okay. Next time on Doctor <laughs> Who, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of that thing. What's also great about the story is when it's set. I mean, we get this great story for all these characters getting to have their own kind of adventure away from the brig since he's off in America at New York at the same time. Yeah, because this whole story is running at the same time as Times Squared. Right. Yeah, which of, we never, of course, would have thought that they were just sitting back at Dolorite Base twiddling their thumbs. Right. But it's nice to have the expounded on any references that would come later. 
which there are. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Many. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Really keep up good the good stuff. work. Everybody that wrote in this book, keep up the good work. Keep them coming. I, I may be biased since I am part of this collection, but I really genuinely feel that Havoc Files 3 is probably the strongest of the short story collections. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Because like I was saying earlier, I just don't feel like there was... I don't remember anything off the top of my head that really I felt was, uh, you know, weaker than anything else. Yeah, really not. It it got me even more excited for Havoc Files 4, even though we'll obviously have read a lot of the short stories before we actually get that in our hands. But it's always a real treat to get those stories that aren't included yes. uh, through the rest of the year. I think so. Havoc Files 4 has even more I think you're right. that aren't the shorts released digitally. Yep, so. I think you're right. Should we move on to Life of Evans? The well, I have a synopsis here. for this. Oh, good. Let's, let's hear it. Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart never could work out what to do with Evans. He never got on with the troops, was always shirking responsibility. So a reassignment to Ember was in order, and a whole new training program under the watchful eye of Captain Young Husband. You should echo that for me. Uh, Written by John Peel. And, of course, as soon as I see John Peel on anything, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed this. Because I think we talked about at one time how much we were starting to become endeared to a character who started out as this slimy guy in Wellfield. Oh, yeah. And we started becoming growingly endeared to this character. And I think we've gotten this little, like, slight movement in, in, as we go through here, as we explore this character. But this goes mounds and above to, okay, now I absolutely love this guy. And well, I think it's treated so well. We got the great advancements in Blood of Atlantis, which are addressed here. And then Feast of Evans, yeah. which made me my admiration for him go even higher. And then AI concurred. Yeah, this, this is just this, this is just knocks a, it out of the ballpark. Yeah, absolutely. As, far as, as the character goes, because and, it also fixes some of those things that while oh look, Evans is being kind of awesome, and then he starts oh, being great. shady. Now he's being shady. Yeah, that was one <laughs> this, of the, and then I think that was one of the issues we had with Moonblade. It was Moonblade. No, it was a Grandfather Infestation, wasn't it? Oh yeah, Grandfather yeah. Infestation. And we yeah. we had that issue with it when it was like, well, wait a minute, what? Where'd this one come on from? Here? Where's this like out of left field? But then you know, it, it still is within Evans' nature from the way he was, so it, it kind of made sense. But yeah, this goes back and really kind of takes that at a whole other step and fixes that a lot. Yeah. So. And it gives um, a nice backstory a little that's bit to what his character. I really liked, and I like the way that it's framed, and the fact that he's in framed that he's <laughs> that he's in this frame, <laughs> being take, yeah, being, being copied to be used as as and taken over, and he's relaying a lot of this information to this computer system or the glass, I think is what it was glass glass was what it was called, and relaying that information that way was a nice way to tell the story, so that you can kind of jump around and tell the reader as you're telling the uh, antagonist as well yeah i thought that was a nice way to implore that um, and the fact that he had an impact on the soldier that he, the glass had created yeah that was, was such a nice touch it was one of those things that we were getting this, the, this this great relationship building with evans he's been sent to this other camp by lethbridge stewart in order for and, and he, you know, of course Evans goes into it with the whole wrong attitude about this oh, thing. Yeah. You know, oh, my God, this is terrible. And, and he always they always allude to the fact that he, you know, he knows that he's kind of this lazy guy that doesn't, you know, or it's not even lazy. He's just... He, he sees himself as not a soldier material. He's an underachiever, and yeah. he recognizes that. I love when they always talk about how, oh, if the brass wants to see you, you know you did something wrong. And, <laughs> and, and so every time he thinks he's going to young husband to get a dressing down or you know, being chastised for something, and, and young, young husband comes across as just, uh, yeah, no, we, we work on this. We need to. It's like it's completely, in fact, it blindsides him yeah. both times that it happens because he's, he's caught off guard because this isn't how he's been treated. And so that was nice. That was a, a good way to develop that. The weird thing is, and I suspect it must play into another story as well, is he develops the relationship with the one before Sailor. What's the, the kid's name? That uh, young husband kind kind of had set up for him to be friends with him. 
Yeah. And then they go that route of, oh, okay, I feel like he's being a, he's just spying on Evans. But then Young Husband's turning that around and saying, you're not my spy. Actually be his friend. Yeah. And I thought that was really kind of a neat... And then such a tragedy that he winds up getting killed. Well, then that's the weird thing about that is it must have had to have been written around because then Goodber. suddenly... Godber. 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 Then suddenly he something happens and we don't get much of what happens there. It makes me wonder if that event must mm. happen in a book that we haven't read yet. That's possible. So, uh, and then suddenly we have to bring Sailor in as a character. And I felt like if you could have kept the first guy throughout, it might have worked a little better. But I think this must have had to have been an adjustment in order to make the story that that alludes to work. Where they they obviously had to go rescue Owen for some reason. So, From what I've read so far and some hints Andy has given, this ties very heavily into Night of the Intelligence. Oh, it does. Okay. Well, he uh, he obviously, we, we had to add this to the schedule because he thought yeah. it would be important for us <laughs> Especially, to there, read this one first. There's a really small moment in Night of the Intelligence early on that makes huge connections and ties very strongly to this. Oh, it does. Which okay. is interesting okay. because I thought according to the official candy jar timeline, this is set after, but... I think because it jumps uh, two times maybe so much. Maybe that's why. This is set after but we're getting flashbacks but we're getting flashbacks throughout of events that take place during oh maybe that's why okay because this i mean if you look at it from he's in the frame at a point beyond everything that he tells happened so this story technically does take place after but he's relating back information from earlier that does connect so yeah that it, it it makes total sense that we needed to read this one so one of the things that was bothering me a little bit, and it ends up fixing itself, so don't feel bad, <laughs> is I really wanted to, as the copy of Evans, who's starting to kind of learn how to be human, ends up being the ones to save the train robbery that's that's happening. I kept longing for that to actually be Evans. To do oh, it. I know. And then the way, then when it plays out, and the way that it does play out, and then Evans does get his moment. At the end, when he convinces the mainframe to, or the frame to disconnect him, and then he's able to disconnect and send the message, then I thought, oh no, that works exactly how it should. Because even if Evans could have taken that shot, it was much better that somebody of advancement with the eyesight mm-hmm. and be able to have all that is the one that was able to do that. Take the guy out that had the, the you know the the disintegration gun. Um, so that I ended up being very pleased, especially because that is another, you know, his company's gratitude for his performance was another element of what made the Glassa copy guy question his role in mm-hmm. all of this and make him more human. And so I thought that worked out really well. It actually played out much better than I, you know, in, you know, you read something, you always kind of formulate in your head how you want something to go. Yeah. And then sometimes it doesn't. You're disappointed. This is one of those where I you know, formulated where I wanted to go and then it went some, the, the direction it didn't. I didn't think it should go and I liked that better. So <laughs> The only yeah. potential downside to it would be once they've established that Evans has been a walking lizard, does he still get to keep the promotion? Lance Corporal? Yeah, yeah, I wonder the same thing. That's the only question that However, I had after that. My, my thought was if they if they do believe him, because they have the evidence of this lizard was walking yes, around, and if clothes. they do believe that he actually single-handedly saved the world, he might have earned that stripe yeah. in that yeah, sense still would have as well. Earned it. So that's what, that was that's my, where I went with it. Yeah, so. that was my, my excuse for saying, okay, there's no reason why they should take that away because... It wasn't just what happened on the train. It was what he was dealing with in that situation as well. So, I really enjoyed the, the other aliens. The, the, the feathery? Well, just first of all that we had, you know, Evans with what? Uh, what do you mean other aliens? So the, and I like the fact that this is kind of a... Well, there's thousands. Matter of fact. It's a men in black situation. Oh, yeah. At any given moment, there's, there's dozens and dozens of aliens on Earth. But then the description of them, the fact that they were avian... 
I thought just thought that was really cool. Now, yeah. I don't know about Glenn. He probably would have said that's but, but, nice. bird. No, 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 no. They, because they described it was, them so far that they weren't beaks. They they were literally just us with feathers instead right. of hair. Well, you guys are missing the whole point on that because the whole backstory of that is that they evolved as we evolved from apes. They evolved from an avian species. Right. So it, it completely makes sense. That's not an anthropomorphized animal. That is cleverly making a the reason why this is human. So if they dropped the line the, about a Jadoon about they evolved from rhinos? I think it would be okay all right, it? but you have to be able to explore something like that. But you don't do that in a 40-minute no, episode. You really so don't. you get creative and you come up with something new. If you have the time to spend to explain why you have an anthropomorphized character in a story, then you're absolutely welcome to have it. But you've got to have that backstory. The problem with a television series is they have 40 minutes to tell you a story and they plop a familiar character in there, a familiar animal in there. That's lazy writing. This is creative writing. This is very creative writing. That's my point. You well, I, I like that he thought oh, all the way through the evolution aspect of it and they weren't literally talking birds. Yeah. That helps the anthropomorphized aspect of it also. We've also had a story just recently in uh, Big Finish that we listened to that was... Oh, yeah. Yeah, the one with the avian species that yeah, were that's true. evolved as well. So, And anything that's not a bug-eyed monster is an anthropomorphized something. And I will poke Glenn with it <laughs> every opportunity. <laughs> The, uh, but speaking, I liked I liked them. I thought they were Speaking of the really aliens, cool. though, that was one of those things that I felt like it was. We were suddenly just dropped into their story, and I was. It was that was so jarring that I thought, "What is going on here? And, what is this detour?" And then it suddenly just works right in with everything else. Yeah, and the monster aspect of it, I really liked all of that too. How it it all fit in together at the end. It threw me for just a moment when he, he's going through the ranking of the villains and he's like, well, the craze and they just got arrested. It's like, okay, I know them. That's, that's a historical one. I know who that is. And then he mentioned the second guy and I went, was that in that one third doctor book that I read? <laughs> so I went and looked it up. Oh no, that's the guy we just finished reading about in the last, uh, uh, mind of, mind of yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. That's him. All right. Never mind. <laughs> so once again, good on you for making me look stuff up. <laughs> It's just a fun book. It is. It, it's it's really well crafted, really well written. And mm-hmm. This was well, this was another one that was hard for me to put down because this is this is a little longer than the short stories. You know, the short stories I can sit down and I can read one in a night because they're short. They're designed to be, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. mostly in one setting for the most part, with the exception of something like Lost Skin, where there is more chapters within it. But this is one that I I sat down and I started reading it last night. And I read way later than I should have. <laughs> and when I finally dragged myself to bed, because I knew I had to get up this morning to go actually go into work for an hour today, I thought, okay, I get it. But today it was one of those ones where I made a window to finish the book today, and I went home and just breezed right through it, thinking, oh, no, I've got a, so much more to read. And then just breezed right through it. Yeah. It's, so it's one of those ones that, it's because it's a novella, it's a longer it's format. 100 pages. But yeah. it's still just, I, I just was so compelling that I just drove right it through really it. It really was. Yeah. I also had a hard time putting it down. So can we can we verify how long Evans was tied up in the frame? I don't think we know yet. Uh, f- it felt like no, no. It's it's only five months because Mo- he, yeah, I mean it was months. Okay. Yeah, it was only five months because each chapter is uh, a month is a, is one month. In oh, okay. nineteen sixty nine to nineteen seventy, I think. I'm guessing from memory here, but I believe it was a roughly five month uh, period. That seems about right. Well, should we move on to the other part of this novella, which was a short story? Time and Again by Robert Mamone. I don't have a synopsis for that one. So I felt like I really needed to rewatch Time Lash before. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, but I, I, I was a little lost at first trying to figure out who these people were. Because <laughs> it's been so long since I've seen that one. But I got there in the end. I, I, <laughs> I was able to kind of go along of, oh, okay, that's what's going on here. I was a little like you because it had been a while since I'd seen Time Lash and some of the character names weren't coming back. But I felt like... Uh, aside from the one they dispatched of in Time Lash. Right. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah that The, the one, references that to one. him, I was that like, oh yeah, I know who that well, is. Uh, yeah, as you say, by the time you get to the end of this one, 
I was kind of caught up without having to go back and really rehash that because enough things happened in this that did jog detailed memories of these people, who this was, who the band Bandrill were. All of those things started coming back as I read through this story, and so, obviously Herbert. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's not as important to have all the details fresh. I mean, as you said, they they ref, refer to it, but it stands alone too because it's set afterwards. Yeah. So it's kind of the fallout and the picking up the pieces. Of what happened, and it's still, you don't absolutely have to have seen Time Lash to really get the gist of what's going on here. But it helps. It does help. It does help. Yeah, absolutely. I think the um, the tie with because it's it's Wells, and that's who we're bringing in the story. I didn't know that it was going to tie so heavily to the Doctor Who universe. I was quite surprised yeah. by that. So that was a pleasant pleasant surprise. Well, this one is obviously setting up the new series that Katie Jones doing, Travers and Wells, where Professor Travers winds up in a bit of time traveling hokery pokery in a setting with H.G. Wells from Time Lash. <laughs> I bet you absolutely just love the cliffhanger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How big is your ski we- was the squee when you got to that moment? There, there was a fairly audible... Did you wake Shy up from sleep? I did or... not wake Shy up. I was, I was alone when I was reading it, thank goodness. But uh, yeah, there was a fairly... It was, it was loud and it was audible. And it was a little disheartening because now that I've had a taste of it and, and I've been invited to come back with other stories, there's kind of been this idea rattling around <laughs> in my head ever since we had read Mutually Assured Domination. It was like, I want to do the ultimate Quark story. I want to redeem these things, and I want to do War of the Worlds with quarks. And then I kind of feel like, well, it's, it's, here it is. It's coming. <laughs> what I think is really wonderful is the fact that when we read Mutually Assured Domination and we talked about the quarks and how very much tripod-like they were from, and we had connected that, you know, a lot like we've kind of visualized the tripods in, in, in War of the Worlds, how they, you know, they, 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 their legs would telescope and they would go, you know, and then to read this and go and connect the fact that the Dominators are the ones that are invading the, the planet, <laughs> and it's H.G. Wells, and we get the imagery at the end of the tripod ships or aliens, I thought, holy cow, Yeah, that went there. And so I was really jazzed and excited about it because I thought, these are quarks! <laughs> <laughs> quarks are the inspiration for the book! <laughs> yep. It's an added bit that I wouldn't have had in my story. <laughs> so, <laughs> so now it works even better well, yeah, than what I would have done. It helps really even connect it better. So. Uh, Robert Mamone, who wrote... Um, I don't recall. Off the top I don't of my recall head, either. So I, I He's a returning that. author uh, to the Lethbridge-Stewart verse. I knew that they had the rights to, obviously, all the, the Travers stuff uh, and the Briggs stuff from Abominable Snowman Web of Fear. And then I realized later that, oh yes, they've also got the Dominators. That's done by the same author. As heavily as this one was tied to Time Lash, I went looking up Time Lash to find out who wrote that. Yeah. Because I thought, well, maybe this, maybe he came back years later, and he didn't. So I'm not quite sure, from a legality standpoint, how they managed to pull all that together, unless they just had permission from somebody or, or well, how they it may works. have. Uh, I can't remember what was the author's name that did the or the writer's name that did uh, Time Lash. It was uh, Glenn McCoy. Yeah, I mean, they may have yeah. rights from McCoy or McCoy's estate. Yeah, I don't know if he's passed yet or not, but those guys know what they're doing, and I'm sure Andy will let us know as soon as he listens to this episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we have the rights to that. <laughs> well, it just it makes me wonder now what else is available that they what else or whatever what have well, they already snapped up that's waiting in the way. I'm so the potential is just wow, and yeah, I'm over the moon. I'm ready for more Travers and Wells. I'm ready for more wherever we go with when he, whatever's coming up. Because if you can work those little details in and tie things that much closer to the Who universe, yeah. that's what fascinates it just really me about cements it, is, it. Is that they are they've done such a good job making connections where you never expected connections to be, and, oh, they, yeah. and it works so well. And I love the fact that the the two universes coexist as one without having to really step on each other's toes. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just I'm. I'm very pleased, especially with something that I love so much, which is Doctor Who, is connected with something now I've fallen in love with, which is the Brigadier, uh, or yeah, the Lethbridge-Stewart universe. So, and for them to remain connected and, and to keep finding those connections, I, I'm just I'm enjoying the ride. It is it's so much fun. One hundred percent agreed, and very much looking forward to Travers and Wells, 
Especially if they're going to give me War of the Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> That's like icing on the cake with the cherry and the candle. That's all that is right there. All right, anything else on these stories that we've reviewed this week, guys? Just so great to get back to the Lethbridge-Stewart-verse. Agreed. Well, Sean, uh, speaking of a Lethbridge-Stewart-verse, <laughs> what do we got coming up on the schedule? Well, if you liked this week with a Lethbridge-Stewart-verse, you're going to get more of it next week. We are going to take a look at the short story Runaway Bomb by Nick Walters and the novel Lethbridge-Stewart, Night of the Intelligence by friend of the show Andy Frankamallon, which features a prologue by a certain member of this podcast who won't be allowed <laughs> to tell you how great it is. Our Friday Night Who offering for this week, uh, coming up at 10.30, again, our new time on Friday, is the first three parts of Colony in Space. So we get a funky Pertwee back on the schedule. Next week, we will finish Colony in Space, parts four through six, and then our review for episode uh, 341 will be about Colony in Space. So it's a brand new episode that none of us have seen. Well, I haven't seen it. I don't know if you've seen it. I know Keith hasn't seen it. I have not seen it. Uh, So two-thirds of us have not seen this at all. And so it'll be a brand new thing. Dun, dun, dun. Well, don't forget you can find us at TravelingTheVortex.com. While you're there, consider becoming a patron of the podcast. And on the right-hand side of the page, you'll find a button that'll take you to a page where you can support us on Patreon. Any amount is welcome, and 100% of those donations go right back into this podcast. And we want to thank, obviously, all our current Patreon subscribers. And a reminder, if you uh, didn't see the notification, check your email. We just sent out the first round of our, well, so technically second round, but our new round of Patreon uh, member rewards for people who are donating to us in that manner. There's a brand new page on the website that is dedicated just to Patreon subscribers, and it is password encrypted, and we emailed you the passwords and uh, we would love feedback on what you thought of that little bonus extra thing there. And keep looking for more because we'll continue to do things like that and other bonuses as well. Absolutely. Also, while you're on the website, there are other links to retail sites there. A portion of those proceeds go into the show. So if you click through there, make sure uh, you make sure you click through there because we get a small piece of that that also goes back into this podcast. And while you're there, you can purchase merchandise from our Traveling Vortex store there. Anything else we need to touch on this week before we close the show, fellas? I don't think so. All right. That's going to do it for this week. Until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. And I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.